Hi, I'm Lisa Pepe, a food journalist focused on finding the next generation of culinary artisans that are changing up the industry. These artisans have a whole new approach to reaching and satisfying the next generation consumer. In this podcast, we'll explore chefs and artisans from around the world diving into their story and passion. Welcome to this episode of Chef AF, It's All Food. Hey, welcome to Chef AF, It's All Food. I'm your host, Lisa Pepe, and today we have a great guest. We have a guest that's going to talk to us about leadership and its impact on employee retention. This episode is brought to you by First Leaf. This is wine gifting made easy, but it's also one of the best I think, best wine clubs in America. And one of the things you can do, of course, with First Leave is you get a custom concierge that is building your own wine portfolio. And this is the thing that I really like about it. I use First Leave. It's one of the products that when I'm trying to explore new wines, whether I'm doing for my own personal or I have my own friends in the restaurant industry that are always asking which new type of concept or wine have you seen coming into the market. That's where First Leaf and their wine concierge really comes into play. And if you're not really that astute on wine, maybe it's a restaurant that you're just getting started and you're thinking about, let's get to a lot more in-depth around wine. Well, guess what? First Leaf has a wine school and it's one of the best wine schools out there that teaches you a lot about pairings, how things can really change up your whole offering from your wine menu. And of course, when you're looking at First Leaf, make sure and check out their full collection. They have an unbelievable bundle section. You can buy these in simple six bottle packages or go all the way up to 12 bottles. Make sure and check out firstleaf.club for more information. Today's guest is executive chef Dustin Falcon, who is the uh, executive chef at not only Rosemary and Pine, but also Niku Steakhouse, which is Michelin starred. Welcome to the show, Thank you. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. Um, so before we get into it, I'm super excited to talk to you today. Uh, there's some really great insights that you have as far as an executive chef and the leadership style that you have within the restaurants. And I think it's extremely cool that you are actually uh, the executive chef at two separate restaurants. So before we get into it today, I want you just to tell us a little bit about yourself, Dustin, uh, maybe some of your background, your training, some places that you've been before you uh, joined where you are now. Absolutely. Um, so about 10 years ago, I moved to Napa Valley uh, from South Florida. Um, I moved after okay. a meal from Per Se in New York City, um, and the meal changed my life. It was such a humbling experience to go there, um, eat, and I realized <clears throat> I didn't know, know half of what I, I needed to. Um, so I started applying to Per Se and couldn't get in. Um, and I ended up applying to Ad Hoc, one of Thomas Keller's sister restaurants in Yonville. I got in and then I decided that I wanted to, I told them I wanted to go there to the French Laundry. Um, so after about 10 months of working and going through the process, I moved there. Um, after the French Laundry, I had a small place in Napa. And after that, I went to Lazy Bear, a two Michelin star in San Francisco. Um, absolutely loved it, had no intention on leaving. And our previous general manager I worked with in Napa actually introduced me to the owners of the new restaurant group I'm with. Um, and I got to open up Nifu Steakhouse right from the inception. That's cool. So uh, any takeaways from your time with uh, Chef Keller? 
It was transformative. It was the, at the same time, I always tell people, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life and the best thing I've ever done for myself. Um, almost a decade removed and people still bring it up. Oh, what was it like to work there? And they always ask all these questions. So it's absolutely amazing. Um, I recommend it for anyone. I just want to remind our guests right now, um, stick around for the end of the show because Chef is going to share with us his top reasons for sourcing local, which I think is super important. I'd love to hear what his perspective is on that. Um, you know, Dustin, there are a couple of things that um, I think are really important about this conversation. Uh, when it comes to leadership and leadership style, uh, you don't normally hear the executive chefs come on and, and talk about that as it's related to employee retention. But first, can you tell me a little bit about your leadership style before we start breaking it down? Yeah, so my leadership style is constantly evolving. Um, when I was at Niku, I was extremely hands-on. I was working the line with everybody, showing them every single project. Um, I pretty much lived there from morning to night every single day. Um, and then I got the opportunity to open up Rosemary and Pine, and you realize you have to learn how to split yourself. Um, and you really have to learn to trust the process, trust the staff, and all the training that you've done with everybody. Um, so now you have to learn how to manage two different restaurants kind of from a bird's eye view and give everyone the tools that they need to succeed and kind of let go yourself, which is always difficult. Yeah, yeah, that that is tough. I think <clears throat> I was going to say, you know, especially coming from a chef, because and I hate to generalize, but over the years, you know, we hear how the control in the kitchen all belongs to the executive chef. So to give up some of that control um, and offer that trust to your team must have been very difficult. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, but then you start to learn you're not giving up control. You're just managing it a different way. It gives me time to actually work with the front of house on service styles, um, work with our chef de cuisines, and I get to train them so they get to train their sous chefs and their chef de parties beneath. Yeah, no, that is absolutely um, uh, interesting to hear. Do you feel that chefs have over the last, say, 25 years have uh, uh, maybe begun over the last five years to look at their leadership in the kitchen the way that you are? Yes, absolutely. I would say over the last 25 years, it's changed. But really, in the last five, it's been drastic. Um, kind of that old school mentality um, in restaurants that I worked in and then chefs before me um, is kind of fading away now. And it's really becoming a much different kitchen these days. You know, I'm sure there's a still a few of the uh, um, old school ones out there, Dustin. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so, listen, I, I read somewhere that your teams um, uh, stay. You're able to keep teams on in your restaurants. And I wonder if you could share a little bit uh, behind those. What are some of the, the key takeaways from your teams lasting within your kitchens? Yeah, so one thing that I do or that we do as a group is we came up with an idea that I don't ever want to have to hire a sous chef again. I don't ever want to have to hire a chef de cuisine, a general manager, um, a floor manager. We should be coaching these people internally. Um, 
that was definitely something I picked up at TKRG. It was very, very difficult for someone to be hired on the outside and come into the restaurant because they didn't know the systems there and they would honestly kind of fail. So the whole point with employee retention is giving people clear goals, um, giving them a path where they could keep moving forward. Um, and where I'm fortunate in our group is since we've been aggressive in opening restaurants is we have those opportunities for people. Um, so we kind of mentor them, foster those relationships, and then we get to grow them into the leaders of our future restaurants. So when they start with you, um, Dustin, do you let them know that with, with you and with the company that there is a solid uh, path for career growth? Is that something that's in the beginning discussions when, you know, you know, the first time you interview somebody? Do you talk about that? Is that important? Absolutely. We always want to let them know that there's a future in the company. This way, it's not the type of place that they're coming in and just planning to work six months and move somewhere else. That we can yeah. train you and you can keep growing within the company. Um, we also try to pay top dollar. Um, we always try to we always check the market reports and see where we are compared to other companies. And we try to be in that top echelon of pay. Um, same with benefits, medical vision, 401k and dental. Um, so we want to make sure that people can support their families and still grow and have a passion in coming to work. Uh, that is amazing to hear. I think that, you know, uh, more and more of these conversations I'm having, we are hearing that, you know, teams are and, and staff is becoming the forefront uh, to a new hiring error. It's about giving people the opportunity to come on board and really see a future with the company. And and through the things you've mentioned, like training and and. Um, um, letting them know that there's 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 a path for them there. I, I, I love hearing that, and I, I, I hope I continue to hear all these amazing things that that restaurants are doing today. So let's let's talk about that. Um, let's talk about uh, I, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I, I'm working for you. Can we go through some of how the staff <clears throat> starts, how they go about taking on new responsibilities? Like what a little bit about the process. Yeah, so what we do is when someone comes in, like I said, we don't want to hire managers. It's much easier for me to hire a dishwasher or a prep person um, and start to slowly train them. Is I try to give very, very, very clear goals. So we want to set up like a 30, 60, and 90 day plan, um, have them learn whatever projects they may be working on, whatever their role is. And as they start to get to where they've mastered that position, we start training in the next position, just slowly helping out. And this way they're constantly evolving and you you never get bored. Um, and we've made it to the point at Niku, which is fantastic, that our team is so talented um, that I'm, I'm starting to look for positions for them. Um, I'm worried that we're not growing fast enough, that, you know, we're training these people and they're so passionate about what they do. I'm trying to make sure that they all stay on, on a clear path moving forward. Uh, that that's great to hear. And, and I hope everyone out there who is tuning in, listen to what Dustin is doing. If it's not something that you're already rolling out at your restaurant, uh, you know, take notes um, because these are ways that really can 
uh, build your restaurant, build your customer base when you have an, uh, I guess I'll ask the expert here, but Dustin, when you have a team that stays and there's longevity there, um, you know, what are some of the impacts it has in a positive way for the customers, for the restaurant, for the day-to-day operation? You provide such a higher level of service, food quality. Um, it's just night and day. Um, it's very expensive to onboard people. Um, there's the training cost. Um, there's the error. We're all human. So when you're new to something, when you're doing new projects, we expect there to be mistakes. Um, and especially at the Michelin level, those mistakes are not really welcomed. Um, so everything just runs more smoothly. Um, the kitchen, it's more like a well-oiled machine and everyone's happy at work. Yeah. Yes, win-win, we call that. Win-win, my friend. Um, So are there, uh, you know, are there certain staff members that, uh, if you know, that pop into your head that maybe, you know, started with you as a dishwasher or started with you and and has worked their way through the chain a bit uh, uh, at one of your restaurants? There's been several, um, many. Um, The one that pops in my head right now um, our morning sous chef Eduardo, and this is at Niku. Um, He came in only working at extremely high volume, casual restaurants, the type of place where it doesn't matter what your knife skills are, you're just how fast can you chop, not how accurate can you chop. Um, It was always places, how quickly can you do something, not how accurate. So when he came in, and he's a big guy, his nickname's Rambo. So when he came in, he was a bull in a china shop. And he started as a prep cook, a komi um, that we called him at Niku. And I just kept telling him, trust the process and explaining why the things we were doing were important. A lot of people will kind of bark orders or say that we do it like this. And they don't take the time to explain why. Um, And he really took onto that. And then he started showing everyone else that we would hire in the morning time. And he started doing that. And he went in, he's been with us just under two years now. Um, He went from an hourly Comey to now he is full salary with vacation and he runs the entire morning team at Niku. And he takes pride in it. You can tell how happy he is. And when he shows the guys, like he, he believes it and he knows why it's important. Yes, he's becoming a leader. I love it. Rambo, Eduardo, whatever you want to call him. We love yep. to hear stories like that. Those are the stories that, that really inspire us when we, when we pay attention to what's happening in the food service industry. Um, so, you know, are there certain things, uh, Dustin, that um, t- like there's there a specific training program that you roll out at your restaurants? Uh, is it different for Rosemary and Pine versus uh, Niku? Can you talk a little bit about the training program? The levels are different. With Niku um, having a Michelin star and the technique that goes into the food, the training program is longer. One, it's two-week training program when you start, um, but that really depends on the person, and it's the training never really stops. Um, but no matter what position you are hired for, you f- spend your first week coming in at 6 a.m. in the morning, and you work with the morning prep team. This way you can see all the work that goes into the food. Then you transition to PM into whatever role you were hired for. Um, and you'll spend five days rotating through and learning the procedures. 
Uh, Rosemary and right. Pine is one one week trading program. Um, it's an easier restaurant. The food's a little bit more approachable, casual, less technique driven. Um, so we do one week there. Um, but it's the same standard between both restaurants. Okay. Just because Rosemary and Pine is my humble approach to food, it doesn't mean that the kitchen should be dirty or anything like that. So it's still the same standard, um, but the food takes a, it, it's more easy to absorb the techniques. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's very good point. Um, and is there something that you, you know, you've been doing this a while. Is there something that you thought to yourself, you know, that maybe you want to roll out uh, uh, something in training that you thought this would be a great addition for the training program for the restaurants? Um, the setting the goals, um, the 30, 60, 90 that we do for management, um, okay. is kind of the same thing we do for chef de parties now on a smaller scale. Um, uh, we give them measurable goals that they can go for. Um, cause a lot of times at work, people don't know how to measure their success. Um, they just go in and if they're not being reprimanded, they think they're doing okay. Um, so I've really been focusing on coaching in the moment, uh, praising, reprimanding, all of that right then in the moment and giving them clear goals um, that they can work towards. And when you know you're accomplishing these things and you can actually cross it off your list, you have that sense of pride in it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Has, has there been uh, something that stood out um, to you that maybe over the years and the different kitchens and experiences that you have uh, confronted, has there been something that stuck with you and said, you know, this is why I'm going to change my leadership style, or this is something that I know uh, maybe did not, uh, wasn't a positive experience for me. So, you know, I definitely am going to not be that person when I get into the leadership role. That is an amazing question. One everyone always asks. <laughs> everyone always asks the opposite of that. Of what did you always see that you liked that you wanted to take with you? Um, I won't call out any restaurants or right. certain no, specific experiences. Um, Maybe off camera, I'll ask you to do that. No, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, but uh, throughout the restaurants, especially the more intense Michelin ones that I was in, I learned as much about food and my culinary side grew so much. I also learned of what I didn't want to be in a manager. And you can run things differently. If you run a two, three Michelin star restaurant, everyone that shows up is there for the same reason. They are, they geek out about food. They're ultra passionate. They're willing to give up 16 hours of their day just so they can learn about cuisine or service or whatever it is. Um, at Rosemary and Pine, we're open for lunch and dinner and weekend brunch. A lot of our cooks have, you know, a morning job and then they come in at nighttime um, and they don't have that same background. So you have to learn to coach them individually. Um, and there were many experiences that I learned about who I don't want to be. And I think that's really important for young chefs is to keep that in mind. Sometimes when something bad happens, take it as a positive. Learn what you don't want to do. Yeah, I mean, and, and what's incredible is, um, you know, through the culinary world and speaking to chefs, executive chefs, there's always uh, the topic of mentorship, 
And I think what's incredible about what you're doing is you have a team that you are uh, helping to grow within your space, but at the same time, you're providing them um, uh, a very good starting point to someday become the type of leaders that we hope them to be from your lead. Absolutely. That is very cool. I do have to ask you, totally changing the, the, the direction of this conversation, but you know, your uh, team shared with us your recipe for potato gratin. The images look incredible. I want to know what about this dish. Is it a signature dish somewhere? Where can we get it? And how did you uh, create this dish? So this was, is, yes, it is the crispy potato from Diku. It's on every single table. It is the potato for the steakhouse. Um, and this dish actually came out of quarantine when we had nothing to do and everyone was doing projects from sourdough, um, bread to all different things, is my girlfriend and I, we were just cooking at home. Um, and it reminded me, you know, I grew up just my mother and grandmother, and my mom used to make me the little box Orida potatoes. And it was the layered potato that you would mix and do the whole thing. And I loved it. Guilty. I know that box, Dustin. I know that box. Okay? <laughs> exactly. It would always be that with like a chicken cutlet or something like that. So we were doing a home style meal and I kept working on these potatoes. I was layering them with Wagyu fat. I was testing different bechamels and potato starch. I was freezing them, cutting them differently, uh, frying at different temperatures. Um, I ended up landing on the recipe that you have there today. Um, and the dip that actually comes with our potatoes is inspired from one of our favorite restaurants in St. Helena. And when it was closed during the pandemic, my girlfriend and I used to go there about maybe twice a month. Um, she was craving this one dish that we used to get. Um, and it came with this dip. And it was a whole vegetable crudite with this dip. So I started trying to recreate the dip at home. And then as I was making this dip for her, and I was testing the potatoes. I'm like, these two things go together amazingly. <laughs> um, and that's where this whole dish. So when we reopened out of quarantine, um, I instantly put these potatoes on the menu. And now every single person gets them. You know, so I love to hear something positive that came from quarantine. And that is definitely one of them. For me, yeah. <laughs> I learned how to bake those artisan breads. I probably during lockdown, uh, baked three or four every day because I was like, I could do yep. this. But we are glad that you had that time only <laughs> to make those potatoes. Um, you know, before I let you go, Dustin, I, I definitely uh, love when I hear chefs give their, their reasons for this. Um, and we're going to talk about top three reasons to source local. This is, this is a good one. So if you could share with our listeners your top three reasons to source local. Absolutely. Um, sourcing local plays a huge role with us at Nico and Rosemary and Pine. That is one thing I haven't relinquished. Um, I do get support from my staff, but I still go to the farmer's markets to pick out all of our products. We have three different farmer's markets uh, we go to throughout the Bay Area here. Um, one, you're supporting absolutely amazing people. You're dealing with these farmers. Um, the produce you're getting has never been in a refrigerator. That is one of the biggest things. So if we pre-order and go and pick, as opposed to when you go to the grocery store and it's picked by a 
giant company goes into a facility refrigerated, goes into a refrigerated truck, then goes to the store. They're picking this the day or two before the farmer's market and putting everything out. That tomato was never chilled. The peaches were never, the corn, the asparagus, whatever it is, it was picked and then you get it that day. Um, and the other thing it does, one, you learn about the seasons and you actually learn what tastes best during the time of year, but it makes your food something that you cannot reproduce anywhere else in the world. And that's what we used to speak about at Lazy Bear, something I learned that we speak about at Niku and Rosemary and Pine, is when we use our foragers, when we're buying this produce, we are remaking dishes that you can't make in New York or Florida or anywhere else. It grows in this small climate right around the Bay Area. Um, and it gives your food a flavor that you cannot reproduce anywhere else. And it is so important. Well, I think those are excellent reasons, and you are right. So just just totally side uh, conversation quick on this. So if you go um, and you find something that is just like a must-have, but it might not be on your menu, w- w- what can you do with that? Do you still take it in and do something at the restaurant with it? It goes on the menu. <laughs> there we you go. do it all Simple the, t- all the time. Simple as that from the executive chef. It goes on the menu. Yeah, we we do that all the time. Sometimes I'll purchase something at the farmer's market because once it's in-house, it forces me to do something with it. Okay. I love that. That is great. So, uh, Dustin Falcon, you are the executive chef at Niku's Steakhouse and Rosemary and Pine. Um, For those, and I might not have mentioned it in the beginning, uh, where are both these restaurants located? Both in San Francisco and the design district. They're about two blocks apart from each other. Oh, well, that could be an all-day event, right? We could go to one and then go to the other one for dinner, vice versa. That would be great. Count us in. Um, I really appreciate you stopping by today, uh, definitely sharing your insights on leadership um, as well as employee retention. I love what you guys are doing there. Uh, Keep it up, and we wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Thanks for stopping by and tuning into this episode of Chef AF. If you guys are over on YouTube, make sure you subscribe and hit that like button. And if you're listening in on the podcast, make sure you give us a rating. Tell us who you want to see. If you have a chef that you think would be a great addition to the show, you could reach me at I am Lisa Pepe on Twitter. One other thing, make sure you guys go head over and check us out at foodabletv.substack.com. I am your host, Lisa Pepe, and I will catch you next time on Chef AF.